T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour, liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Okay, engine stop. Okay, and a defense. Post control, both autos. Engine engine command override off. Engine arm off. 413 is in. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. My guest on Cosmic Perspective Radio is NASA Goddard Space Flight Center senior scientist, Dr. Jim Garvin. He is here with us today to discuss NASA's OSIRIS-REx mission to the asteroid Bennu. Dr. Garvin, thanks for joining us in Connecticut again on Cosmic Perspective Radio. It's my pleasure. It's wonderful to be back. You attended Staples High School and played hockey for them, I understand. I did. It was what a time back then. That's the days when uh, hockey was a little more rugged, as <laughs> I must say. <laughs> yes, it was. And you were on uh, a few times in the past for NASA's MAVEN mission, uh, so we're, we're glad to have you on again. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. This is exciting. Today is the first time a U.S. spacecraft will attempt to grab a sample of an asteroid and bring it back to the Earth to study. Why has NASA decided to visit an asteroid? And out of more than a million asteroids in the solar system, why was Bennu picked? So asteroids, of course, are very common, millions of them. Um, but to get the right one, you need the right stuff. And so this particular asteroid, which was only recently named Bennu, it's just got all the right ingredients, Andy. It is made of the right stuff. So we think it's organically rich, at least with carbon-bearing compounds. Um, it had, at least from the best of the telescopic observations, the right type of surface character. It's a slow rotator. It's about 10 city blocks long, so it's big enough to be intact for a, a kind of encounter to sample. And it's also in the right place. And, you know, getting to different places in the solar system takes a lot of energy and hence fuel and rocketry. And this one is in the right confluence of places to go to visit, map, and return. So it's got all the right stuff, and we think it's also a fantastic time capsule. Yes, and I think it's so cool that Bennu is a carbonaceous chondrite asteroid, and this time capsule brings us way back to the formation of solid bodies in the solar system. Exactly, and we think there are relics of that time when the planets, of course, you know, accumulated and... Uh, and became planets. And the leftover bits that contain these volatile organic materials are really enticing. We have the carbonaceous chondrites meteorites, but they've gone through a transition as they pass through their atmosphere and are battered around in space. 
Going to the source of such things, such as this asteroid, is exactly what we need to do to sort of look back in time at those things that seeded our own planet with some of the chemistries that we have come to love. And I understand that Bennu was going to make somewhat of a close approach to the Earth in the future. Exactly. These asteroids, some of them are potentially uh, Earth encounterers. They come back around. And while the probability of an Earth encounter with this kind of asteroid, four to 500 meters across, is extremely small, it's vanishingly small in the next few hundred years, such events do happen in the last million years. There have been a couple of noteworthy asteroid impacts that have produced, uh, for example, the impact crater Jamanshin in Kazakhstan was an impact that occurred 800,000 years ago produced a large area of crater form that's very exotic. So these events occur on Earth. They've affected the history of our planet. This is a smaller one. There's no risk from this one, and that's why it's such a good one to go to, to get to know this kind of object. OSIRIS-REx was launched in 2016 and arrived at asteroid Bennu in 2018. Would you please tell our listeners about its journey to Bennu and what the spacecraft has actually been doing since 2019 when it arrived at the asteroid? Excellent question. So OSIRIS-REx is really three missions in one, and that's what makes it so spectacular. One of the missions is, of course, the the spacecraft, the robotics, to go and encounter an asteroid. It has the rockets, the spacecraft positioning systems, all the stuff that we take for granted sometimes. It sounds like science fiction, and we actually do this stuff. The second thing is it's an asteroid reconnaissance orbiter. It contains a rich array of instruments from thermal imagers to spectroscopic mappers to a rich array of cameras, LIDARs from Canadian Space Agency that can map the asteroid at scales as if you were flying over it with a drone. Of course, there's no air at the asteroid, so it's not a drone. It's a robotic rocket propulsive vehicle. So OSIRIS-REx got to the asteroid, matched velocities, went into a rendezvous kind of orbit with it two years ago, and then in the ensuing two years, it's been mapping that asteroid with incredible detail and testing the waters of how to best approach the asteroid for this historic touch-and-go sampling event today. So we've mapped this asteroid at scales of inches, measured the chemistry with multiple instruments that do that, OVIRS and OTAS, mapped the asteroid with a scanning laser altimeter from Canada, measured the surface details down to millimeters with the cameras built at uh, University of Arizona and Maryland Space Science Systems, and all this is getting ready for this historic sampling event, the first big sampling event since Apollo uh, 17 left the moon. Later today, OSIRIS-REx's instrument TAGSAM will, will attempt to scoop up a sample of the asteroid, but I understand that the material on Bennu's surface was larger than expected. How does that affect how the sample will be taken? In the course of the last two years, Andy, of mapping this asteroid at these scales, you know, that are sort of a dog's eye view uh, in some sense. Um, no dogs on the asteroid, by the way, just to make everyone sure, you know, love dogs. So um, in doing so, we found only a few sites that are really have the right stuff for this kind of sampling. We want them to be smooth, which is small particles, you know, uh, less than an inch across, um, to be not surrounded by boulders the size of, you know, small cars. All the right stuff. So we picked four of them, and one was the best. That was selected uh, in the last uh, nine months. It's called Nightingale. And that region of the asteroid, it's about 25, 30 feet across, is smooth. It's slightly dimpled by, you know, tens of centimeters. Has all these small particles, just the right kind of conditions to back up close, extend the arm, do the high five, vacuum up the materials after, 
you know, injecting nitrogen gas and sucking in the, the materials and then encapsulating those materials in the sampler system, the TAGSAM, and returning them to the mothership and bringing those home to Earth. So this was an awful lot of work by the science team and, and engineering team led by Dante Loretta and others to pick these sites, get them validated, and know that we can actually bring the stuff back from them. And so we're ready to go. Orbiting for a long period of time like that and doing all these studies, it's just amazing all the science that's gone into this for this time that will just take a few seconds to actually take the sample. That's right. After we go through the, the sort of transition from being in this higher orbit, hundreds of meters, down to a checkpoint and then a match point, we'll then be good to go. And we'll back into the asteroid very slowly, only you know meters per second, and do the encounter. It will take about five seconds to inject the gas and then to vacuum up or gather up the materials in the sampler system. It's a, it's a circular ring-shaped system. Gather them up and then return them with the arm back into the spacecraft and then back away all the time, understanding the asteroid and its interaction is historic. We'll be doing a touch and go on an asteroid. The kind of stuff that we literally wouldn't have thought possible back in the era when the human beings went to the moon. And then we'll back away further, and then later in 21, we'll start the process of sending the sample retrieval capsule back to Earth for its arrival on Earth in 2023. It's uh, science fiction becomes fiction, basically. (laughs) Absolutely. It seriously is. It looks like something you'd see in Star Trek or Star Wars. If TAGSAM is unsuccessful, or let's say it takes a smaller amount of sample than expected, will TAGSAM attempt to take another sample? So there's a huge, a really careful contingency plan. I mean, this mission is all about the masterpieces of engineering to just make it even possible, especially for the price performance that we have. So if it first looks as if the sample site is too rugged, there are contingency plans to back away and try again later in December. If that also proves to be not advisable based on a set of criteria, there are backup sampling sites. One is called Osprey, and we could visit that in 2021. So there's a whole cascade of possible contingencies, alternative plans, so that there won't be any risk from not attaining the required sample, which is very modest. It's in the many tens of grams, you know, so a thimbleful is all we need. Although if the asteroid cooperates, we could bring back pounds of material. And that's up to the asteroid and the dynamics of this interaction, which has never been done by humanity before. Touching and going and sampling an asteroid in this way is new stuff. And so, very exciting to all of us, to be honest. It's beyond words. You're listening to Cosmic Perspective Radio with today's guest, NASA Chief Scientist, Dr. James Garvin. We'll continue our discussion on the history-making OSIRIS-REx mission. What did the science instruments on OSIRIS-REx tell us that we didn't know before it studied the Bennu extensively? And what might we find when the mission brings the samples back? So, you know, before we got there, we, we saw the telescopic and radar from Arecibo, uh signatures of what it might be made of. And so it was very enticing. It looked like the kind of stuff that we call these carbonaceous chondrites that are rich in carbon-bearing compounds. So we got close to the asteroid and started the spectrometer mapping with two instruments primarily. Oviers and OTES are their names, and they allow us to see the kind of compositional makeup, the mineralogy, if you will, of the surface of this object, which instead of being smooth and made of fine particles the size of gravels, it turned out to be a lot rougher, much more rubbly. Some of the boulders on this asteroid are the size of automobiles. So this is not for the faint of heart. But anyway, what 
what all that work showed was this is a volatile rich asteroid, meaning it contains compounds made of the light stuff, carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, all together. And so that compositional information that's been gleaned from the science team for the last few years is even more exciting because it's that kind of primitive building block of the materials we think had to have arrived on early Earth, early Mars, early Venus, back in that cleanup period after the solar system and the planets formed. So this really is, it's kind of a monument, a museum piece from that time with all these special chemicals, this chemistry. And so what we're really gonna be able to do, Andy, once we bring those materials back and the women and men community of scientists that look at these things, they'll be able to pick apart the stories that are captured in these materials using isotopic ratios and, and those kind of things that go all the way back in time to the earliest part of our solar system. This is a rare opportunity to do that on pristine, unaltered stuff. So really, it's the stuff of, uh, it's magical to me. It is. It is amazing stuff. And I, I know there are some theories of that, you know, life was actually brought to the Earth through uh, asteroids. I, I can only guess that we'd find the signature of life in these samples. Very exciting stuff. Well, exactly. And, you know, the, the whole field of astrobiology has a set of very poignant questions about looking at materials like those from this asteroid, connecting them to the early Earth and the records we have here, and connecting them elsewhere. And so this is just incredibly important to look at this kind of at this kind of stuff anyway um i just am beyond excitement sorry about that another incoming call it's probably from the asteroid <laughs> anyway that's that that's where we are andy so this is again um those materials that we will be sampling to return to earth by intention through the informed wisdom of women and men i mean this is something that literally it's taken us the 60 years of the space age to be able to do. And now we can do it for the price of a blockbuster movie. That's kind of cool. It is. And, it, and again, as they say, it's, it's science fiction becomes fiction. Uh, and I understand that a material from another body in the solar system was found on Bennu. And what are scientists thinking about how this material got there? Well, Bennu is, you know, again, it's this time capsule of an early time of chaotic collisions. You know, our universe is a collisional place. I mean, we can't escape that. The energy of collisions is what makes us tick as a universe and all the way down to the scale of asteroids and cosmic collisions. So the fact that there might be other stuff on this asteroid and the fact that this asteroid is actually shedding material that's been detected from the OSIRIS-REx mission, a great discovery. These are some of the exciting factors. What that means, we don't know. But just look at it this way, Andy. We've been driving around Mars with rovers like Spirit and Opportunity, Curiosity, and we've encountered meteorites on Mars from other places, from asteroid impacts and collisions. So we see that in Antarctica and Northwest Africa. This is the way the solar system works and seeing it on a small asteroid 10 city blocks across is even more beguiling. So we have a lot to learn and it's nice that we can go to some of these special places to understand these factors that literally 30, 40 years ago we had no idea. That's how much of a discovery this is. It's, it's incredibly interesting. I think what's really interesting also is that this material from asteroid Vesta is also found on the Earth. It's a very common asteroid. So here we are. The sprinkling of things around the solar system is also on this body that we're going to visit. It's, that's pretty cool stuff. Indeed. And that's why it's important to go visit. Landing and roving is really great, but sampling is amazing. Bringing it home 
collected on purpose. That's why we've been waiting for the last 50 years to conduct a robotic Mars sample return, which will be beginning with the landing of the Perseverance rover in uh, February of 21, the first step in that campaign. And so having these samples collected by intention by humanity and selected carefully gives us the same approach we use on Earth when we go and do field sampling of interesting areas here. We're just bringing our collective wisdom as humanity from Earth to another world. That's kind of cool. It's just mind-boggling to think that we may be able to take a piece of a world that's 200 million miles away and bring it back to the Earth to study. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. You had mentioned that if all goes well and the samples return back to the Earth, it would reach the Earth in 2023, which is uh, about a year longer than it took for the spacecraft to to get to Bennu. Would you please tell our listeners why it would take a, a little longer for the return trip back to the Earth? So first, Andy, what will happen is if with a successful TAGSAM event today, the samples will be encapsulated into a sample a return capsule, an SRC. We have acronyms for everything, of course. And we will then use the spacecraft over time to position itself so it can inject that sample return capsule on a course that will allow it to land on Earth. So we have to wait for that timing. It's like waiting for the tide to, to rise so we can float our ships down the river while we wait for the geometry, the flight dynamic geometry to be right, to send that sample return capsule back to Earth so it can eventually arrive in the deserts of Utah at the Utah Test Range, which is where we've landed other samples from Stardust and Genesis, for example. Those samples will come back there. They'll be carefully captured and encapsulated to avoid any contamination. They'll then be packaged and brought to the Johnson Space Center where we curate samples from other worlds like the moon, like this asteroid, eventually Mars. And then they will be basically dispersed to the science team and the science, scientists around the world, those women and men, will pick apart the history of this time capsule. So it's going to take time to do that, to do it right. We have very limited energetics and fuel to do these kind of big space flight events. I mean, it's not like Star Trek where get on impulse, Scotty, and let's send her home. We don't have a lot of impulse, so we have to be very parsimonious. But the engineering marvels of this mission allow us to do that, all in a mission, again, with a price tag of that of a, of a blockbuster movie. Amazing. And, and, uh, and of course, the first samples brought back by the U.S. since the lunar missions. I mean, this is incredibly exciting. That's right. These are the first sa solid samples of another solid body object returned by the United States since December 1972 with Dr. Schmidt and his team on the surface of the moon. Dr. Garvin, thanks for joining us today on Cosmic Perspective Radio for this very exciting mission. Where can our listeners learn more about NASA OSIRIS-REx mission and asteroid Bennu? There are lots of great places, Andy. Um, first and foremost, if listeners go to www.nasa.gov slash NASA Live, they can see the events um, and follow the links to the websites for the mission. At OSIRIS-REx is a social media place where one can follow along as well. And one can just search in any search engine OSIRIS-REx and the events and the results will be identifiable. And there's also lots of research papers that have recently been published in a special issue that one can search online and see. They're spectacular scientific results that the whole community is literally dazzled by. Dr. Garvin, thanks very much for being with us today to discuss this mission that's going to make history. And of course, we'd be happy to have you come back on the show after the sample has been taken and the mission progresses, if you'd like. Absolutely. I, I mean, I can't wait. It's literally amazing stuff. And 
the team under Dante and colleagues have been waiting for a long time for this. So hats off to them. It's going to be epic. It's a real pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks so much for uh, being with us again. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. On October 20th, OSIRIS-REx's TAGSAM instrument touched down on the surface of Bennu for a few seconds, fired its canister, and backed away from the asteroid. A few days later, it was determined that TAGSAM had a sufficient sample of Bennu's surface to bring back home. For more information on the mission, go to nasa.gov. Cosmic Perspective Radio is an Andy Paneros production.